Well, if you guys have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 22. Uh, But to be honest with you, uh, the section of Scripture I have today would take us about 45 minutes to read, (laughs) or quite a long time to read. Uh, We are coming to the end of our study on Acts, and we are going to look at a big chunk of Scripture today. And I'm going to do more of an overview. Usually I like, as you know, to walk through specific scriptures. Uh, But as we're getting to the end of the narrative, I'm going to start looking specifically at um, just more the narrative of Paul's life here. And so I I hope that you have some time to read the end of Acts on your own. I hope that this isn't the only place in the week that you read Scripture. I hope it's formed in your lives as well and that you can engage Scripture in your own time and space. And so I definitely encourage you, for those of you who are in community groups, you're going to be reading through big portions of Scripture uh, this week. But as we enter into the, the final stages of Acts, I really want to look specifically topically through this last section. And this last section of Acts, really of chapter 21 to chapter 28, is all about the life of Paul. And it's all about how Paul is going through all these crazy circumstances of suffering and hardship and yet seeing what God is able to do in the midst of it. And so we're going to be looking at this, but the major theme that I want to bring out, so to say, that the major issue I want to bring out this morning is that we can persevere in all circumstances because we can trust in God's plan. Amen? I mean, who here feels like life is a little chaotic right now? Who feels like life is a little out of control? I I know many of you are going through suffering right now. Many of you are going through hardship. Many of you are going through trials, whether it's relationally, financially, Um, existentially, whatever it may be, there's all this suffering and hardship in our life. And usually what happens is Satan will use that time, or even in our own minds, we can start to doubt God's goodness in it, can't we? We can begin to say, God, if you are allowing this to happen, are you really good? Do you really have what's best planned for me? And and as we look through the story of of Paul, we're going to realize that The life of Paul, especially in these final chapters of Acts, is absolutely insane. I mean, it is mind-blowing what this man goes through. And yet, through it all, he deeply trusted God. And he deeply trusted the plans of God. And he knew that even despite his sufferings, God would bring about good And so my encouragement for you this morning is no matter what suffering you're going through, no matter what hardship you're going through, my prayer is that you would come to an understanding of who God is, and God is good, and God will provide what is good for your life. And so let me me catch you up a little bit on the story of Acts. And so last week we, we ended with the discussion of Paul and the Ephesian elders and the big discussion of where Paul was traveling towards and where, what city was Paul traveling towards? Jerusalem, right? And what was going to happen in Jerusalem? He was going to get in trouble. He was going to get arrested. He was going to get harmed. I mean, this was something that the Holy Spirit had spoken into Paul's life that as you enter into Jerusalem, bad things are going to happen to you. And so Paul, again, had an excuse. He could have said, okay, I'm not going to the city. 
And in fact, there were other people in the church telling him to do what? Stay away. Don't go to Jerusalem. It's going to be a horrible experience for you there. It's bad news. But Paul says, no, this is something that God has called me to do. And so we see Paul leave. Uh, the elders in Jerusalem, or elders in Ephesians, they celebrate the good that God is doing among the Gentiles. And he's set on going to Jerusalem. However, what happens is a bunch of Jewish authorities recognize Paul. And they begin to say that Paul is starting a political revolt. Now, is that true? No. And so the Romans come in, and the Romans begin to realize that none of this is true. They begin to question Paul and see what he's doing. And so they can't figure out what to do to him. So what ends up happening is they send Paul to a guy named Felix, who is this governor in Rome. And Felix basically didn't know what to do with Paul, and so the easy thing for Felix to do was throw him in prison. Any guesses for how long Paul was thrown in prison? Two years, okay? And Felix basically forgets about Paul in prison. It wasn't until Felix's successor comes that Paul is actually released from prison. A guy named Festus begins to engage with Paul. Uh, Festus is reviewing all his new responsibilities. He discovers Paul is in prison. He wants to figure out why he is there. And so he asks Paul to stand before him and basically give a defense and an understanding of, Paul, why are you in prison? And the crazy thing in this story is what Paul will eventually do is appeal to someone. Now, anyone who's read this narrative already, who does Paul appeal to? Does anyone know? He appeals to Caesar. Now, this is wild to think about because the Caesar at this time is a man named Nero. Does Nero have a good reputation among Christians? No, a horrible reputation. Let me give you a little history lesson. Tacticus, a Roman historian, he writes this about Nero. I'll give you the longer quote. He says, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our pure creators, Pontius Pilate. And a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. Accordingly, an arrest was first made of all Christians who pleaded guilty. Then upon their information, an immense multitude was convicted. Not so much of the crime of firing the city, that's a side and historical note, as of hatred against mankind. Mockery of every sort was added to their deaths, and this is where you see some of Nero. This is what happened to the church. Covered with the skins of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished, or were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as nightly illumination when daylight had expired. That's how Nero dealt with the early church. That's how he tried to get rid of this movement that became a threat to his authority. And so this is the guy that Paul is appealing to. 
at the end of the story in Acts here. This is the guy that he cries out to appeal to Caesar. Now, here's what's crazy. I don't know what Paul is thinking by doing this. I mean, it seems a little crazy to us, doesn't it? But Paul had a vision beyond Jerusalem. He knew that God was calling him Jerusalem, but he also had a vision beyond that. Where did Paul ultimately want to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to? Rome, right? Where is Caesar? Rome. How is Paul going to get to Rome? By appealing to Nero. That blows your mind. It should. It shows that Paul was underwilling to go and stand in front of the most antagonistic person before the church just so that he could preach the gospel. Isn't that wild to think about? When we talk about the call to be witnesses at the beginning of Acts 1.8, and we realize the call of the church is to be witnesses through cultures and communities and cities and countries and nations, when we're called to be witnesses, we think of it, oh, I just want to share my faith and do a little evangelism. Paul's understanding of being a witness was, I'm going to put myself where my life is at stake to share the gospel. That's how far Paul is going in this. And so Paul says, oh, this might be an opportunity to go to Rome. And so the plan then after this is to send Paul to Rome. And just before he shipped off, the governor, uh, Herod Agrippa, this is another character in the story, comes to Festus and wants to hear from Paul. He's curious about Paul. They, they don't really know why would Paul allow himself to be imprisoned for simply a worldview? He had done nothing wrong. None of these governors um, knew what to do with Paul. So he's, he's curious about Paul's conviction. He's curious about Paul's teaching. And he's curious why Paul is staying in prison. And what I love about Paul's interaction with Agrippa then is you'll, you'll read in the story that Paul begins to give all these evidences for why he's a Christian. He gives all these evidences about the story of the Old Testament being coming to completion with Jesus. And he shares his personal testimony, how he met Jesus resurrected. And he's giving in all these evidences to Agrippa. And Paul's life is literally on the line. And his thought and mentality was, hey, I've been given an audience to proclaim Jesus to the governor. And so we read this in Acts 26, 28. And this is Agrippa's response. He says, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a what? A Christian? In other words, he's looking at Paul and, and the, the entire account of, of Paul's story and apologetics is all this chapter 26. And Agrippa comes to them. He says, Paul... You're on trial right now and you're trying to convert me? <laughs> I almost think it's comical when I get to this point in the story, but I was like, if Paul's willing to appeal to Nero, then to share the gospel to Agrippa, isn't that going to be scary for Paul? And I think we have, to, we have to ponder this for a second. We have to sit in that. Now, a lot of us, we're not going to have the same calling as Paul. We're not going to have the same mission that God has called us specifically as Paul's life would be. Um, but we are all called to be witnesses as Paul is a witness. Amen? And, and Paul's witnessing, I think, is profoundly beautiful. Because when Paul was at his most threatened in his life, we see him proclaim the gospel even more boldly. And I think when we examine our lives, for us as Christians, us as the church, 
We, we have to see and recognize our own lives through that same lens. We have to realize that if God has given us an opportunity to present the gospel and to tell someone how good Jesus is, should we take that lightly? Should we take that lightly, church? No, not at all. I mean, I can think of so many opportunities that God has given me to share the gospel at times that I've simply brushed off. That I've said, oh, this person doesn't really care anyway, or this person won't listen to me, or this person's already set in their ways, and we brush it off. And I think that's a very serious thing. And so for us then, I mean, we could even process this together right now. Think of a circumstance where God has put an opportunity for you to share the gospel and you didn't. What were some of the excuses or what were some of the thoughts that you processed? A little confession time, a little vulnerability time, that's okay. Yeah, rejection, they're not going to like me anymore or they're not going to hear it anyway. What were some other excuses or thoughts? Yeah, they're, they're too busy or I'm too busy is probably even a worse one, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're just going to argue, and I'm, I don't want to get in a debate with them, right? A debate is going to go nowhere, right? Yeah, somebody else has already tried. All these people have tried time and time again. How am I going to be different, right? What's going to change now? Any others? Yeah, how will it be perceived? Is this person going to be offended that I'm trying to share my faith with them? Or are they going to think that that's all I care about in this relationship? How are they going to perceive it, right? And so there's, there's all these boundaries and there's all these barriers. And I'm not saying we should just throw uh, wisdom out the window and just start yelling at people. That's not a very effective way to have a conversation. I'm not saying to be that type of person. But I am saying when the Spirit gives us opportunity, just because there's a risk, a risk of rejection, a risk of argument, whatever that risk may be, doesn't mean that the Spirit hasn't called us to share the gospel. And so we see this so clearly. And so I think, again, part of what we all share together is, well, the risk is then that I might enter into some type of suffering. If they reject me, then it's a relational suffering. If they argue against me and they are more intellectual than me, perhaps, then it's an intellectual suffering. Or, or it's all these types of other things at play where it could even be an internal suffering of not feeling qualified or good enough. And, and Paul really pushes those boundaries and pushes past those things to be a proclaimer of the truth. And so, Paul, in his life, really breaks down all those categories of fear. He breaks down all those categories of hesitancy. He breaks down all those categories of what could possibly happen to him in light of sharing the gospel. Uh, Because we, we see this. The life of the Apostle Paul is a, really a description of how life can go wrong, okay? Let, let me read some descriptions that the scriptures and Acts tell us about the Paul's uh, experience in life. Well, he starts off by telling us the Holy Spirit himself that in every city, what awaits him? Does anyone know? 
imprisonment and persecution. So Paul says, you know what? In every city I go to, I know there's going to be conflict. I know my well-being is going to be at risk. And what do we see in his life? We see that he is kidnapped. We see that he is beaten. We see that he is threatened. We see him being arrested many times. We see him being accused in lawsuits. We see him being interrogated. We see him stuck in prison. We see him ridiculed, ignored. He's even shipwrecked. And as he gets off the shipwreck, he gets bitten by a viper. Right? <laughs> in other words, everything was horrible in Paul's life. And let me read you another passage that Paul describes his own life in. Uh, this comes from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. And he says this. He says, I am talking like a madman. <laughs> That's his first description. Why? Because listen to everything that he goes through. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a day, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship, there were many a sleepless night, and hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of me, of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Isn't that crazy, what Paul had to endure? Now, again, we're not going to all have the same story of Paul. We're all not going to be called a shipwreck. We're in the middle of Alberta, right? If you get lost at one of the lakes, there's a bigger issue that I have to talk to you about, right? So there's, there's some sense that our, our story doesn't correlate with Paul. There is a sense of that. But what's wild to think about is that Paul did not allow any of the experiences he had everything going wrong, so to say, to doubt his pur the purpose and plans of God in his life. And in fact, a lot of the things that Paul had to endure, he recognized the good in it. He recognized what God was able to accomplish in it. And, and so when we, when we think of it from this perspective, we realize that, that Paul actually was given some pretty amazing opportunities through some of these difficulties. I mean, even think of his time in prison. What was Paul doing primarily in his time in prison? He was preaching to prisoners, worshiping, converting the guards. <laughs> yeah. He was writing the epistles, right? He's writing letters to the church. And so the gift of a lot of the New Testament we have of God speaking to us through Paul was during his time in prison. I mean, the life and legacy that Paul leaves is recorded because of that time set apart for him in prison, his reflection. Now, 
That's a pretty crazy thing to think about. Um, but but even even the, the missionary legacy that he has of, of going into Rome, he ultimately ends up in house arrest in Rome, uh, which is really right under Caesar's nose, right under Nero's nose of preaching the gospel. And, and I think it's pretty wild to think about, as Paul is imprisoned in Rome, he's under house arrest. And, and we'll talk about this a little more next week, but as he's under house arrest, he's basically has the ability to have all these Jews and Gentiles from Rome come to the house and he's preaching the gospel to them. In other words, the major prayer of being able to share the good news of Jesus in Rome happened through his sufferings and his hardships and his imprisonments. And so this is the life we see from Paul. And so a question I have for us this morning is do you trust God when everything is going wrong? They're trying to, yeah? Do we trust God when everything is going wrong? I, I mean, if, if anything, we, we look at the story at the end of Acts and we realize what Paul has endured and what Paul is going through and all the hardship that he has in his life, and yet we see God do some very profound things through him. Amen? And my hope for us as we examine our own lives and as we go through the trials and sufferings and hardships that we all endure, that we would begin to recognize what God is able to do to redeem and to reconcile and to renew and to spread the gospel even through those hardships. Amen? Do we believe that? And so, again, we can persevere in all circumstances, not just when life is good, not just when we're happy, but in all circumstances because we can trust God's plan. See, Paul writes this in, in Romans 5 as well. He says we can actually rejoice in our sufferings. Sounds like a weird concept, doesn't it? We can rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character. Who here is, has hard things actually helped you become a better person and the person more mature and wise and more gracious, right? That's what Paul is talking about. He says it produces character, and character produces hope. Why? Because if you grow in your character, that means things can actually change, amen? And who needs change in their life? Things can actually change. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God can do far more than we could ever fathom, than we could ever comprehend. This is the beauty of what Paul sees. And so Paul envisions his life, and Luke actually sort of frames the story of the end of Acts in a similar way, where, where Paul sees his life in a very similar vein to the life of Christ. Because when we look at the life of Christ, we've looked at Paul's and everything he went to endure, but when we look at the life of Christ, what are some of the sufferings and hardships that Christ had to endure? Let's spit them out. He was ridiculed too, right? 
He was whipped too. He was crucified. He was beaten. He was scorned. He was shamed. He stood before Roman governors. Abandoned by the disciples and his family. And so when Luke records the story of Paul, there's actually quite a deep parallel between the story of Christ. And the concept that Luke is bringing out is, is you know what, we, we are going to suffer in this world just as Christ suffered. Yet our hope is that just as Christ suffered, was buried, what happened on Easter Sunday? He rose from the dead. There was a vindication that happened. There was something about God's plan that seemed like it was falling apart and that it was distorted and that it wasn't going to the way that we all expected it to and yet something beautiful happens out of it. And it's the same with the life of Paul. Something beautiful happens out of the life of Paul. And do you know what, church? God will do the same thing among us. That all the suffering and hardship is not in vain. Amen? Isn't that a good hope? That's the only hope we have is that God will vindicate it. God has a plan and a purpose that is beyond our comprehension that God is able to do something mighty through. And so God gives us this ability to be sustained by his presence, by his goodness, even in the difficult circumstances in life. And so I'm going to close us in prayer to that end. Gracious Father, we come before you. And Lord, first of all, we come in confession, recognizing how easy it is to doubt you in the midst of our hardships. And Lord, when we see the evil and injustice around us and in us, Lord, we ask how could a loving, all-powerful God allow this to happen? And yet you, you created us to make these decisions to be people who bring love and goodness into this world or to be people who bring evil and injustice into this world. And Lord, we recognize that the suffering that we endure is because, um, Lord, you have created us with the ability of free will to make these decisions. And so, Lord, I, I pray that we would not lose sight of your goodness in the midst of our suffering but that we would trust in the plans that you have for us and the purposes that you have for us, knowing that you will vindicate all the suffering that we go through and that you are the only hope to eradicate and to end all the evil and injustice in this world. And so I pray that we today would once again renew our trust in you. Renew our trust in what you're able to accomplish in our hardship. Renew in our trust in what you're able to transform. Renew in our trust what you are able to change. And so, Lord, despite what each and every one of us is going through in this room, let us trust you in the midst of it, knowing that you are good 
even when things around us are not. We thank you, gracious God, through that hope that comes in Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.